Welcome to the final whistle. With the Magpies in the news, we have with us a former Newcastle United youth player and a lifelong fan in the studio. Haugang United midfielder Charlie Mitchell is today's guest and we chat with him about Newcastle United and the proposed takeovers. What is the real deal with Mike Ashley? Then we talk to him about his career in part 2. Hi and welcome to the final whistle. This is Deepan. This is Kabir. Today's episode is powered by Active Fit. ActiveFit is an online sports and fitness store providing apparels, equipment as well as recovery tools, which is a forgotten but essential element for fitness enthusiasts. That's right, you can now enjoy a discount of 10% when you shop with ActiveFit if you use our unique promo code, hashtag TFinalWhistle. Visit ActiveFit.com, that's A-K-T-I-V-E-F-I-T.com now. Bro, what comes to your mind when I say Newcastle United? To me, they are the ultimate neutrals favourite. And since I started watching the Premier League in my younger days, they were in and around the top four, a quite successful team. And uh, under Sir Bobby Robson, they were really a fantastic side to watch. Mm. And over the uh, years as well, they've been blessed with uh, some incredible Premier League talents. I remember Alan Scherer, Lauren Robert, Craig Bellamy, Kieran Dyer, Nobi Solano, just to name a few. So of course, while I'm not a Newcastle United supporter as a football fan, it does irk you to see the club fall off from those times and come into each season with the threat of relegation looming over their heads. Uh, what about for you? I mean, do you share a similar perspective of Newcastle United? Mm. For me, Newcastle has always been entertaining to watch both on and off the pitch from all their drama and everything. And we've seen them go down and come back up twice since uh, Mike Ashley took over. And right now, they look nothing like the side that played in European competitions. And yeah, I agree. La. Sometimes it pains me as a football fan to see Newcastle or any club for that matter in such a state. Yeah, and with Newcastle being in the news over the past few weeks, uh, we think it's the perfect time to bring in a true magpie into the studio. He's one of Haugang United's new signings for the current season and a former Newcastle United youth player. We have with us today, Charlie Machel. Charlie, how are you? Good to see you. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, guys. Yeah, doing, doing good. Thank you. So what have you been up to over the past few weeks? Uh, I understand the training returned to a, a full-sided training today. So how has it been? Yeah, I mean, last few weeks, you know, it's, it's been a lot better uh, being able to get back onto the pitch. Um, just being able to get the ball out again instead of the the runs and the and the gym work that we were doing on on Zoom, like I'm sure everyone mm-hmm. everyone's been uh, saying. But yeah, the the news obviously that we're allowed to get back into the full sided training is is unbelievable. You know, I think everyone's been kind of waiting for the news. There's been talks of it's going to be year or September, August. You know, we've mm-hmm. all just been waiting. So for them to uh, say that it's basically happening. The next day when, when the news comes out, that's great. You know, we don't have to wait any longer. So really excited. So right. you started your full training today? Yeah, we, we had a, a gym session today. So we'll be back on, on full training tomorrow. Ah, um, cool. So that'll be our first session back. Nice to hear. Yeah. Yep. Charlie, let's get right into it. Uh, you were born in Newcastle. Uh, you grew up in the area. But how did you start to support Newcastle United? Well, yeah. So uh, born in the very center of Newcastle. Um, my auntie and uh, older cousin. Were, were season ticket holders mm-hmm. um, back when the club were doing very well. Um, so I kind of 
grew up in in a in a time where Newcastle were really really successful. Um, so I got taken to my first uh, game I think when I was five years old, um, and it was actually an away game against Leeds United. It was four uh, three I think Nobby Solano scored the scored the fourth goal and we, and we won in the ninety second minute uh, Boxing Day I think it was. Um, and at that point I kind of I kind of fell in love with it. You know I had I remember having my first uh, my first Newcastle shirt. Mm-hmm. And it was something that I wanted, and I'd got that for Christmas, and I got to put the full kit on, and uh, the the roar of the crowd, I think, in the in the ninety second minute, and that that kind of buzz, uh, I'll never I'll never forget it, and that's kind of when I fell in love with 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 Newcastle and, and going to the matches. Mm-hmm. So you've been a season ticket holder at Newcastle for since then? Yeah, f- since I was, uh, I think I got my first my own season ticket when I was uh, eight, wow, um, okay. going with my auntie, and I had had it up until I was sixteen. So I had eight years and still whenever I go home, I, I watch the game and uh, I'll follow them away and at home. Um, and any chance I get, I'm I'm at the game. I'm staying up till three in the morning if I need to while I'm here and I'm watching <laughs> them, even if we're we're getting beaten 4-0, you know, I still I still keep watching. Um, and it's painful sometimes, but you know, when we do win, it's 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 all worth it. So who were your idols growing up as a Newcastle supporter? Um, actually, Kieran Dyer was was the player that uh, I remember the most, having the biggest impact on me. You know, he was fast, um, scored a lot of goals, uh, tricky, and got the got the crowd on their feet, sort of thing. Obviously, Shearer was was a, a hero of mine, uh, being a striker when I was younger. Always wanted to uh, be Newcastle's number nine, like so many so many mm. kids in Newcastle. Um, so Dyer and Shearer loved loved that that kind of era when I grew up. Really, you know, Nobby Solano again, another another unbelievable player. Uh, Shea Given used to love watching mm-hmm. him. Um, so they were kind of my 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 heroes when I was when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. Tell us more about Newcastle as a city. You know, how football met are they? I mean, we know a lot about Sunderland because of the Netflix series and all. Tell us more about Newcastle. Uh, how football met are they? How's the city like? Yeah, well, for one, it's a lot better than Sunderland. Um, <laughs> uh, it's it's crazy, you know. The uh, the stadiums in the very center of the of the city, so you've got all the bars, the restaurants, everything around it. So it's a real good football atmosphere. Um, there's if you're not going to a Newcastle game on a Saturday at three o'clock, like people are thinking, what what else are you really doing? You mm-hmm. know, um, everyone kind of fifty two thousand. We fill it out, and if you're not in the stadium, you're in one of the bars surrounding the area, or you're at home watching it on the TV. Um, so it's a very it's a family club. It's a proud club. Um, we're the biggest club in the northeast by by far. You know, I think always have been. Um, even when we were down in in the championship, we were getting more fans than Middlesbrough, Sunderland, mm-hmm. going down Hartlepool, that kind of that those kind of teams. So it's it's a very proud club. We're proud that we're we're the we're the biggest in the northeast, and and we want to keep it that way. You know, um, but yeah, mad city. Uh, lots of fun things to do, nightlife, mm. but also. Uh, got a lot of olden uh, things and 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 buildings and nice architecture, um, so it's a it is a beautiful place. If anyone gets a chance to to visit it and get a chance to go to the game, mm-hmm. you, you can see the kind of passion in the stadium and around that feel and that buzz. So, from a potential uh, business point of view, before we get into the takeover talks and all, uh, could you see why uh, a businessman would want to take over Newcastle United yeah, uh, club? For sure, I think. The way where we are at right now, you know, we might be at the bottom of where we've ever been, uh, in terms of where the club's been placed and and 
the no success um, and you're still getting full full capacity into the stadium. We get relegated twice. You're still getting 50,000. Yeah. You know, that that if there's fans like that anywhere else in the world, I mean, I, I personally haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. You know, big teams have gone down and they've not recovered from it. Teams like Aston Villa, you know, Leeds obviously have just come back up, but they've spent years in, in the in the championship. And uh, for a club to still have that kind of support. And uh, I mean, really, when you think about it, if if you can make that, that club successful again, the amount of support that like we'd, you were talking about in the everyone wants to see Newcastle do well. So if it does start doing well, I think the support from around the world could be could be huge. And good for a businessman, you know, to really sell the club to other countries. Yep. And of course, the Saudi Arabian takeover talks collapsing to now. Of course, a Singapore-listed company being linked to taking over Newcastle United. It's been a busy few months for Newcastle fans. Where is your head right now as a fan? I mean, what is your perspective on all these uh, takeover talks happening? Yeah, I think we all got excited. You know, there was the pictures of Mbappe and Messi <laughs> and, and that kind of thing. And I'll be the first one to say I got I got excited about it. You know, I was thinking we're being linked to these huge players. Um, I think we were Pochettino was coming at one point and Cavani and, you know, are we going to get Neymar and this kind of thing? And it was exciting. And uh, I think we've all been, we've all been calmed down again now. You know, we've gone into preseason without a, without a recognized striker apart from Andy Carroll. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's it's one of those things that we've heard it a million times now. Over, I think the club's been up for sale for 10, 10 years now. And the amount of people who have said that they want to buy it and it's not gone through. I think we've got to kind of just uh, now just wait and see. If it happens, it happens. And if it doesn't, then it's going to maybe be another, another tough year for the club. Mm-hmm. It's a good time to bring in, of course, the ownership of Mike Ashley who has been the owner since he bought over the club in 2007. Uh, just my perspective from the outside looking in, I don't understand the criticism on Mike Ashley. From your perspective as a Newcastle United fan, could you explain why the fans are so upset with Mike Ashley? I think there's a there's a number of reasons. You know, when, when Mike Ashley came in, we were all quite excited. Freddie Shepard was the previous owner and people had had some problems with him. Um, we obviously would spend, uh, we broke the transfer fee to get Michael Owen in. Um and 13, 12 years down the line, we've finally made spent more money than that fifteen million, I think it was. Mm-hmm. So whilst other clubs have have become something or you know spent money, you know you've got clubs in the championship spending more than fifteen million on players, which is what you, which is what you have to do. Um, and we are only just spending over fifteen million on I think it was Almiron, and then we got Joe Linton in. Um, so. To be a club of our size, to be relegated twice, to, you know, not sign anyone and not really be ambitious and spend and be able to spend money. Because from what we know, Mike Ashley's a very wealthy man. Um, he's coming to Newcastle. He tried to change the stadium to the Sports Direct Arena. Yeah. You know, St. James's Park is, is everything to Newcastle fans. The one thing you don't do is you don't touch the stadium. And he's let it kind of go to rot. He hasn't really worked on the stadium. Mm-hmm. Um, could do it could do with a a bit of an upbeat. You know, the academy has just become one of the worst in the in the Premier League. There's, there's clubs way below us that have got better better standards. We haven't really had apart from the last year with the Longstaff brothers coming through. We haven't really had any academy products come through, uh, and we haven't spent money. So 
the other thing is the the uh, sponsorship. Mm-hmm. So the sports direct is basically Newcastle United has become a sports direct sponsorship. It's everywhere across the stadium, and he's rubbing it in the in the fans' faces. Mm-hmm. You know, Newcastle. I think I read that Newcastle had had paid out Sports Direct over twenty million or something, um, and we don't receive a sponsorship fee from them because it's our own as company. So while other clubs are getting a hundred million, imagine how much you have to spend to to rename Old Trafford or to rename I don't know even Anfield anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know that's a lot of money that you could then invest in the team. But instead, we have our own as company, which is fair play to him. He's a businessman. Do you know what I mean? Mm. He's making money. So you're either coming as a football fan or you're coming as a businessman. And he's came in as a businessman. And he's uh, and he's kind of stripped the assets down. He's made us, he's let us be relegated. He's not invested in the squad. And then when we challenge him on it, oh yeah, I'm going to sell it. And he's never, he's never sold it. He's always wanted that little bit more. Got a little bit greedy. Mm-hmm. So... You know, we've there's there's a there's a probably a million more reasons um, that Newcastle fans aren't happy with them, but they're just a, a few that uh, are definitely ones that stand out to me anyway as a as a big fan. But would you concede uh, on the fact that uh, you talked about investment in the squad? Uh, of course, last season they spent almost seventy million. Uh, the season before that, the figure was closer to sixty million. Do you feel like uh, it's not so much the investment, but the kind of players that you guys are buying, or do you think that for a Premier League club, sixty seventy million is it's a basic fee. Yeah, I mean that that sixty million. I don't know who who we who we really we didn't buy a standout player with that. You know, we mm-hmm. improved this. We may have improved the squad mm-hmm. quite quite drastically, um, which was what we needed to do to to kind of be stable in the Premier League. That's not what Newcastle's about. It's not about being stable. You know, when I was a, a kid, I was watching us in the Champions League beat Juventus, beat Juventus one nil at mm-hmm. home and going away in the European nights and winning and. And that kind of that kind of club. That's the that's the kind of club that I remember and that that we are. So, sixty million. Yeah, we we might be able to. But how much have we? How many players have we sold as well? You know, players that we're selling for thirty five. You know, Andy Carroll. We sold for thirty five million. Uh, we sold Kabai for big money. We've sold. We've we've brought in players and and we've sold them on Sissoko. I think we got thirty thirty million for Wijnaldum. You know, all these players that you don't remember playing for Newcastle, they all went for quite big transfer fees. Yeah. A lot more than 60 million. So when he gets pressurised, Ashley gets pressurised to spend money. And we do, but we don't really invest that much. And we also make a profit still. You know, I think Newcastle was one of the clubs two years ago who who came out with a 5 million plus after selling players or something like that. You know, Man United are 250 million in debt because they're, they're spending big money. Mm. So, I mean... That's uh, that's kind of where we see it. Um, he's not coming out and saying, you know, I've just bought you this seventy million pound striker who's going to maybe push us into Europe. He's coming out saying, listen, uh, the club can only spend the money that we're we're given mm-hmm. or that that we can that we can bring in. And it's like, well, maybe you give us some money from your from your sponsorship and we can invest in some players. Uh, so that's yeah, that's kind of where that, where it's at at the moment. So do you think a whole revamp of the squad needs to be done? I think we we're bringing in you know with Saint Maximin Al, uh, Almiron. Mm. I think they're two good quality players that we've brought in. Um, you know Sean Longstaff. I think Matty Longstaff. They're they're two players from the academy that we've we've got for free. Yeah. Um, I think there's a number of positions that we need to we need to look at. We've got a good goalkeeper which we got for cheap Dubravka. 
He's he's been brilliant for us. You know, a lot of players come to Newcastle on the cheap, and they end up doing really well. And we sell them on. We shouldn't be a selling club. Mm, uh, yeah. We should be a club that attracts big players. Um, so I think at the moment we could really use uh, like a left back. Well, to be fair, we could we could use four four new defenders. I think Lascelles, the captain, he's uh, he's he's okay. He's you know he wears his heart on his sleeve. Yeah. But if you're pushing, if you want to push for a top six, maybe he's not not your man. Mm-hmm. Um, and then midfield, like I said, Almiron and Saint Maximum coming in, we look dangerous on the attack. We can we can do things against big clubs. Um, and then we obviously need a number nine at the moment because uh, Joe Linton's come in, and I don't. A lot of people will criticize players that that come in for a big fee, but for me, he's young. He's he's a big boy. It's going to take him time, so I'm not I'm not too mm. worried. I think hopefully yeah. when he starts hitting the back of the net, that it that will keep coming and keep coming. But for now, we do we need another another option for sure. Of course, last season, uh, you guys uh, stayed up. Uh, a lot of criticism was on Bruce at the time when he first came in as a as a manager, and some were saying, you know, this is a move by Mike Ashley to. Uh, make Newcastle fans happy because he was a Newcastle supporter. Uh, where do you stand on that? Do you think Bruce is the man going forward or do you think it's quite clear that he is someone who can only manage a, a mid-table side? Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough. You know, if I'm Steve Bruce, I'm, if it was me in that position and I'm a Newcastle fan and Newcastle comes calling, then 1,000% you're taking the job. You can't blame him at all for wanting to be manager of Newcastle United. Mm-hmm. Um, is he the man to take us into Europe? You know, I don't know. I don't personally think so, but give him a chance. If it doesn't work out, like it's like anything. You know, he's managed to do well with what he's what he's had, in my opinion. Um, it is quite defensive football, but we also had Rafael Benitez, who was a Champions League winner, and we played very, very defensively. And uh, we all loved Benitez, you know, but we still had sixteen percent possession against Manchester City and lost mm-hmm. 1-0 yes. but it's like if it's Steve Bruce then it's 16% possession what is this guy he's a joke you know <laughs> how are we how are we having him as our manager but if it's Benitez it's 16% oh but we nearly won mm-hmm. you know so it's a it's a lose-lose for Steve Bruce at the yeah. moment uh, people don't like and that, that goes back to Newcastle being the club that we all still think it is you know this massive club and realistically um, in recent times we haven't we haven't acted as a massive club so mm-hmm. at the moment Steve Bruce is our is our manager and I think it fits Newcastle at the moment so at this moment you know what is your hope with what happens with regards to the ownership well ideally we we, we get someone in who, who really cares about uh, about the football club for me it doesn't need to be everyone wants the Saudi owners to come in and, and spend ridiculous amounts of money but at the same time we don't know if if that's what they're going to do you know you never know until you until you get it and mm-hmm. It happened with Manchester City, but I'd prefer to have Newcastle's club at finishing tenth with a full stadium, um, than than to have no fans like like Manchester City fans, mm-hmm. um, who they don't fill out a Champions League quarter final sort of thing. Yeah. So empty hut, man. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Perfect sitting in a room of three Man United fans. <laughs> and, uh, could have gone down differently. <laughs> but yeah, f- for sure, bring someone in who's gonna who's gonna change the perspective of the club, mm-hmm. be able to invest, uh, see it as a hobby, and and have someone at the at the helm who's who's really gonna take the club forward and, and want the best for the club. Um, but, I think that's all we can ask for. But it's not a hobby though, it's still business, right? It depends how much yeah. money you've got, I think. You know, I don't know if the if the Saudis 
are necessarily coming in to think, oh, can we make a lot of money out of Newcastle United? I think mm. they might be coming in because, you know, it's fun to own a football club and mm. it's fun to buy Mbappe because it gets one <laughs> over on, on Manchester City sort of thing. Mm. So that's what we've got to be careful with. We mm. don't want another we don't want another person to come in and see it as a business. We want someone to come in and, and really see it as a as a, a love for the club and they want to take it forward, invest and and then, you know, like everything you've got to you might have to invest at the start and then yeah. the investment comes back in. It's it's a long term plan. But if you're constantly on a on a downhill then um you're just gonna end up losing. I'm sure he's in a huge amount of debt that we don't know about from Newcastle as a football club. Yeah. Um and I'm sure he has put ridiculous amounts of money in. But you know, you've got to know that getting into it and you you can't you can't take away take it away from the team to to get that money back. All right. And that's it for part one. When we come back we take a look at Charlie's football career so far. Welcome back to the final whistle. Charlie, I want to start by asking you about your youth days. So, of course, you are a boyhood Newcastle fan and then one day you got the chance to be in the Newcastle United youth setup. So, how did that chance come along? Well, it was actually when I was, uh, I think, six years old that I started going over to Newcastle um, to train in there. And, you know, it was a young age. I'd gone on, to, I think it was a, a summer course um, and they invited me down to start training. And, you know, I was just starting to go to the games then and you start to get excited about it and you're thinking, what what if, you know, you're dreaming mm-hmm. uh, as a as a young player. Um, so I played from, I think, six till till eight and then I was released at eight. Um, told that I wasn't a, wasn't a team player enough. They said that I just kept the ball too much. Mm-hmm. Didn't, didn't pass the ball to my teammates. So go away, play boyhood football. Maybe one day we'll come back and get you sort of thing. And then I think it was at around 10 years old, the development team again came, we want you to come and train. You know, I was doing really well. Um, top scorer in the in the region. Come down and train with the development. Uh, we had uh, scouts from Manchester United coming to watch our games. Uh, so there was quite a bit of a buzz about our team. Um, and then... Yeah, it was it was it was one of those things, you know. You come up with the development squad. I was also playing uh, boyhood football with my friends as well, and um, and and so yeah, it was it was a good experience. Um, growing up, being able to play against different players, you know, it was it it was good, and I, I don't I don't regret don't regret anything that that I did when I was younger. I think I managed to play. I got to play for England school boys when I was. When I was 14 mm-hmm. um, and then you know you, you just sometimes realize that maybe that next step is a little bit too far for you um, and you maybe don't get that opportunity it happens to a lot of different players uh, some it's down to attitude some it's down to just not having that extra step you know at 15 you start to see players who are really starting to starting to take that take their game to the next level and I mean now we're seeing 16 year olds playing in, in the first team mm-hmm. and that's kind of the bar that's been set. So if you're not at that level at, at 15, 16, then maybe you're not going to get that chance anymore. If you're close, you might get that opportunity to go and play scholarship football or, you know, playing an under 23s team or, or that kind of thing. But if you're not quite there, then it's gone, you know, maybe one player 
out of your team might might be able to go and play at a at a professional level mm-hmm. um and that's that's at a push um so so yeah it was uh good good being able to be brought up in a such a football mad city like we said and play and play and get the chance i think i was eight years old or eight years old nine years old and i played newcastle versus Sunderland. And i scored wow. and uh i remember them saying like right you can now always say that you scored against Sunderland, you know in a, in a derby <laughs> yeah and i and i'll still you know if someone says have you scored against Sunderland, yeah i scored one we won one nil um i still remember the goal so i mean uh so yeah, that was uh, it was a good 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 way to be brought up, definitely. So is is it normal for them to release eight eight year olds just because they're not a team player? Isn't that the whole reason of of having an academy? Yeah, I mean, I think it's ruthless now. You know, mm. you've got nine, ten, eight, seven, whatever being bought by clubs now in England. I was back recently um, at my going to see some of my boy my boyhood club coaches mm. and one of their boys had been he's eight years old and he's been bought by Manchester City mm. um and they've put his family they've moved his family got him a house in Manchester eight years old this kid got him a house in Manchester they've put his him and his sister in private school um and they've got his his parents jobs so I mean now in football because there's so much money you know maybe then it was there wasn't too much uh, going on with other other teams coming and poaching players. Mm. But now they're looking at five, six-year-olds, which is just ridiculous. Yeah. You know, you'd never know how a player is going to turn out. Yeah. I think for me, I was probably at my at my best, at my youth time, probably at about 10, 11 years old. I was probably at my, at my peak at that time. And uh, that was the best time for someone to come and get me. And that's when bigger teams were looking at me and that kind of thing. Um, but then again, if it had been in today's world and me as a 12 year old, I think I maybe could have got a contract at a, at a club mm. at, even at 12. Uh, but it, it wasn't, it wasn't like that, like yeah. that back then. Uh, but yeah, ruthless. They'll, they'll bring players in. They'll sign players from different countries at nine, 10 years old, bring their families over, release local players. Uh, they don't, they don't have a, they don't care that much anymore. <laughs> it's, uh, it's crazy. So when you were in the England youth setup at the time as a boy, were there any players that you recognize at the point of time that you think uh, would go on to make a, a career? And have they made a career? Yeah, I mean, I've I'd spoken about it before. Um, I played, so I played in a, it was, we were playing Northeast. I was playing for the Northeast of England. And then uh, we went and played for the North versus the South. And then they picked uh, an England squad out mm-hmm, of that. Mm-hmm. And um, we played down in, uh, in Bolton, actually. And uh, the midfield I played with was Will Hughes who was Watford Watford who's playing in the Premier League now mm-hmm. um I'd have to go back and look at the uh look at the photo to see what the names were because mm-hmm. I'm sure there's you know there's four or five more players who who went on and made it after that mm-hmm. but he's the one that stood out for me for me because he was the best player on the pitch by country miles so I'll have to I'd have to go back and check to see who else was in that squad mm-hmm. because it was it was a good standard I, I i i didn't start in the game the first game i i came on at half time but played next to him in center midfield and i knew at that point that he was a lot better than what i was so at 14 years old to see a player and think that's the bar you know you kind of realize that maybe you're not going to you're not going to play in the mm-hmm. premier league even at 14 because this boy was everywhere and he was brilliant and we were playing against a team that was um one year above us i think and and he was he was unbelievable best player on the pitch so he was the one that stood out for me anyway then mm-hmm. so what were the chances of uh, you making it at the professional level in england 
And when did you realize that uh, perhaps that's not the route that you're going to do in England? Um, I think, like I said, at 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 twelve, thirteen, fourteen, I, I was thinking there's maybe a chance. Mm-hmm. You know, I was doing really well, and then maybe things didn't go my way. Fifteen, sixteen, um, ended up going over to Darlington uh, for a little bit. Who were a League Two club at the time. Um, the club ended up going into administration, but I was set on signing there. Um, and I think, I don't know what would have happened if I'd signed there and the club would be more stable. Um, but then ended up going to, going over to an academy, um, called Monk Seaton Football Academy that was really specializing in going over to America. So at the point, maybe 14, 15, when I knew that I wasn't going to make it to that Mm -hmm. next level, I, uh, I started to have a think about what what else I can do to to stay in the game, and I still thought I was I was a good player, but maybe lost quite a bit of confidence, mm-hmm. not being good enough to to make the next the next step. Um, so that was when I had to uh, had to think about different routes. Yep, and for yourself, when did you realize that uh, America could be a potential destination for yourself in terms of football? Yeah, well, my stepbrother had gone over to New York when I was when I was fourteen. And I'd seen some pictures and and seen different things that he was doing and the facilities and the he was living in New York, you know, only places we could see on 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 your phone, you know, mm. you don't get the opportunity to go to these places. And he was raving about it. He'd been at Hartlepool United. He'd been a, a scholar at Hartlepool United, close to getting uh, first team. And he'd kind of said to me, "Listen, this is better. Like, don't worry about it. Don't go into lower league. Don't try. Don't start work. And don't." come over here mm-hmm. any chance you get get over to america he's like it's a completely different lifestyle and you'll love it so that was at about 14 15 i started to have a think about it i still wanted to play in england but um it was definitely going to be an option for me um so when that opportunity came it was yeah it was a no-brainer for me to get straight over there so in america you juggle uh your studies with football is that how it yeah works? yeah uh so they have um they have it's a college uh, on on the side of your football, so you mm-hmm. you're doing both, uh, so you can get over there. And they, I mean, the prices to go over to a, a university in mm-hmm. in America are, are crazy. So we're lucky enough to get a scholarship to go over. I mean, some some parents are paying forty thousand US oh. dollars a year for their kids to go to school, and oh. you stay there for four years. Mm-hmm. Um, so to I, I obviously got that got that chance to go over with a scholarship and you do four years. You, I did a sports management degree um, and I also played um, played a good high level of football as well with players from all over the world. You know, my team had four Chileans, three or four Brazilians in, really, really good quality and facilities are just, I've never, I've never seen facilities like it, even professional. Mm-hmm. I've never, I've never been back in a, a, a place with such good facilities and, and good, good supporters and, immaculate pitches change rooms because they have so much money to put in mm. into their sports over there and they really take pride on what things look like so um nutrition wise as well you know they have athletic trainers they have five six physios 24 hour massages Whoa. anything you need you mm-hmm. have it there um you don't realize how lucky you are until maybe you leave until you mm. leave over there so it's really really good experience nice. so do you share the facilities of uh with the american football players the usually the the universities they'll have a big stadium for yeah. for their for their american footballers yeah. and then they'll have their football soccer pitch yeah. and stadium yeah. they've got their baseball 
basketball arena, everything. So separate, it's all separate. separate. Yeah, yeah. Ah. Everyone gets their own their own space. Separate pitches, separate facilities. And, yeah. Oh, and I mean, I mean, it's crazy. You know, the American football, for mm. instance, you've got 110,000 people coming to watch. A college football game. For a college football game. More than <laughs> more than the professional level because mm-hmm. people are so proud of the college mm. they went to and it's more than a professional team. You know, they've played, they've been to that school. That, that, that's their everything. That's mm. their Newcastle United to me is their college team. Uh, so people are very, very passionate about it. And you have different steps. You know, you've got your... Um, Division two, Division one, NCAA, NCAA, different. It's all, it's all different. So, um, it's good if you can be in that Division one level. Really, really good. Really Mm -hmm. enjoyed it. Just want to get your perspective as an Englishman on this. Uh, we see plenty of social media warriors these days. You know, they they criticize uh players who play in the English Premier League clubs. So recently, we had uh Sheffield United manager Chris Wilder come out to say, you know, I I think it was a game before uh Leicester. And he said that, oh, Jamie Vardy deserves to have the career that he has had. And the people who are criticizing him, watching him from the bars and the pubs, they deserve to be where they are at. And Vardy deserves to be where he's at. So what's your perspective on on people criticizing these guys and saying like, oh, uh, these guys shouldn't be playing for Manchester United. Um, people say that about Lingard, for example. Do you think uh, you realize how, how tough is it to be a footballer in the English Premier League, let alone the Championship, the League One or the League Twos? Do you sometimes look at these comments that people are making on social media and realize you don't know how tough it is to be a footballer in England? Hundred, one hundred percent. I think the main, the main question for these people who do hammer these players is: Would you take three hundred thousand pounds a week to play for Man United? And if the answer is no, then they're lying. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, if you're Jesse Lingard and you get offered that kind of money and you get offered the chance to play for Man United, you're taking it. You know, people they they get they get hammered for the amount of money they make. Mm. It's if you if if these guys who maybe work in an office or they work there, I don't know, as a butcher, and and the owner comes in and says, "Oh, I'd like to give you this amount of money. We'd like to pay you forty thousand pounds a week to to cut chicken." Are you going to say no? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, of course not. So these these obviously footballers are very very lucky. Um, they're very privileged to be in the position they are, and some of them do let themselves down. You know, we've seen all this fighting with Harry Maguire mm. and, and that kind of thing mm-hmm. and then put themselves in position sometimes and Grealish I think getting arrested and all, all this mm. kind of thing and that's a different side of it but on the pitch at the, at the end of the day they're human they're human beings and they're just kicking the football around on a on a pitch yes you want the standard to be high we all watch Messi we all want our team to have a have a line on Messi or a player to be unbelievable but you don't know what's going on in their in their world outside of football they might have a brand new baby. They might have a death in the family. You just don't know. And, mm-hmm. yeah. and as soon as someone has a bad game, it's bam, everyone's online. And for me, I find it's for these young players who who get hammered uh, every week. I mean, Pogba, what a player he is. Mm-hmm. He's unbelievable. Maybe one of the best in the world uh, as a midfielder. Mm-hmm. And he gets hammered even by pundits. You know, half time comes. If he hasn't scored a goal or got mm-hmm. an assist, what's he doing but that's just the limelight on him they don't talk about the players around him so I think it's it's a hard one yes everyone's entitled to their opinion if you pay for your ticket you're entitled to say you don't think someone's good enough <laughs> but at the end of the day who it's the manager picks the team if you get picked and you're on that kind of money happy days if you're not performing then you're not going to get that opportunity again you know you're not going to get picked and that's something that that's, that you've got to live with but I think it's ridiculous the way people go on and, and hammer players. And I'm I'm surprised there's not been more 
uh, like backlash from it from players, you know, just getting sick of it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for yeah. social media. If I think if I was a Premier League player, I wouldn't be on social media. Really? I just, mm. I think I would stay away from it completely mm-hmm. because so negative. Yes. I mean, so negative. You can score. There's that documentary that just came out on the Tottenham Hotspur one, mm-hmm. All or yeah. Nothing. Yes. And Deli Ali, I think, is talking and he said, you know, one minute you can score the 90th uh, or Eric Dyer, one minute you can score in the 90th minute and everyone loves you. Mm-hmm. And the next minute you're getting taken off in a thir- after 35 minutes in a game and, and suddenly you're the, you're the worst player. Yeah. So the highs of football and the lows of football are maybe more than than any job in the in the world mm. you know you're that buzz of scoring or in front of all these people and and the real like the real lows um so it's one of those for me i've definitely i'm not going to say that i've i've not hammered a player before but i would never do it to them or online or anything mm-hmm, i think mm-hmm. i think it's it's pathetic you know you don't need to do it if you you can you can have your opinion but keep it to yourself yes. yeah. but and at he, this point do you think it's come it comes with the territory though so yeah I mean, for Pogba, he uh, he earns all those big bucks, and people are always looking at him. Yeah, yeah. but it comes with it. Yeah, it it does, and I think that's what I mean. They've they've been able to learn to to live with that, mm. and I think players now, for instance, you don't hear anything from Pogba. Like yeah. he, you don't hear anything. He doesn't really. You hear stuff from his agent. You know, maybe he's leaving this kind of thing and mm. and that, but you don't hear him like complaining or being petty about it. Mm. I think he's dealing with it. But for a 19, 18-year-old yeah. who's coming up, who's never experienced and suddenly he's put in the limelight and you've got yeah. 10,000 people on on Twitter saying that you're, you're awful. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's got it's not got to be nice for your confidence, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like you said, it comes, it comes, it does come with football now and everyone's entitled to their opinion, but do you need to, do you need to make it uh, personal with them and, and, Tag the minute. Mm. I don't think so. Yeah. And here we are talking about the English Premier League. Uh, but like I said again, you know, even in the league too, there are professional footballers playing there. Could you perhaps share with us how tough is it to even play in League Two, for example, even to play in these clubs? It's not easy at all, right? No. I mean, League Two, the standard and the the professionalism is is crazy. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe even more in terms of people looking after themselves than the Premier League. You know, the Premier League you've got someone basically to wipe your ass for you. Like that's, <laughs> yeah. that's how, that's how, how many staff work for the club league two. Maybe there aren't as many people and they're still having to play at a, at a good level every week and you're traveling up and down the country and you're not on, you may be not on the the first class plane or, or that kind of thing. So credit massively to these, to these pros who, who are able to stay in the league because that standard, I think league two standard is, Higher than, I mean, a lot of a lot of leagues in the world. They were mm. saying the championship, for instance, is maybe one of the top six leagues mm-hmm. in the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So League One's not that far off the championship, and League Two is not that off, far off League One. So maybe it's one of the top twenty leagues in mm-hmm. the world. So you can imagine the kind of players. And I mean, you hear things about players coming over to Asia or that kind of thing, and teams saying, "Oh, but he plays for League. He plays yeah. coming from League Two, yeah. and it's like." Trust me, if this guy get comes over and plays over in a country like this, he's he's gonna walk it. Like mm. he's gonna be good. <laughs> yes. And it's like, oh no, but he's fourth division. Like, mm, not sure. But it's nothing. It's nothing like anywhere else in the world. Definitely not. Yep. And you didn't really uh, try out in the League One or League Two. And then you've I, I've heard uh, or rather I've read an interview where you said uh, you recommend hundred percent for English players to go abroad to go to Asia. Why is that? So why do you think it's important for 
these players to try these leagues in Asia like yourself? Yeah, well, I mean, for me, it was when I when I first left after playing in America, I was, maybe am I going to stay in America? Am I going to go back to England? Uh, but I think Scandinavia is, uh, when I first went, it wasn't huge. Mm-hmm. There was a few players going, you know, you really do get that opportunity to play first team football, whereas you can drop down the leagues in England and maybe it's it's tough, you know, still really, really good standard. But you go over these places in Scandinavia and suddenly you're playing first team football and and you're getting that opportunity because you are a foreigner. You're a, They've invested in you to bring you over. You've played at a certain level and, and they want that in their team. Um, and especially when you're young, 20, 21, 22, to be able to get that first team football is 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 hard, especially even you see players drop down into League Two and they they they're ruined. Like I've seen I've seen it a million times. They go on loan to Scotland or they go on loan to League Two and and it's they've played nice football on nice pitches and suddenly they've got thirty two year old men who who have to win mm-hmm. on a on a on a Thursday night on an eight hour bus journey. And it's it's a little bit like, oh I'm not sure if I fancy this sort mm-hmm. of thing. Get me back to the nice the nice, uh, the nice pitches and the relaxed environment. Um, so for me, if you get that chance as a 2018 to 22, 23, whatever it is to go and play in, in, in Scandinavia or in Germany or wherever, you can become a completely different player. And we've seen it now. We're seeing it much more. You know, Mason Mount went to Holland, I think oh, yeah. it was, and he's just become a star. Sancho, uh, more players. Jude Bellingham's just gone. Mm-hmm. And they're going for big money to... Obviously, they're big clubs, but a lot of players, if you look in Sweden, Norway, English especially. Um, and I mean, for, for the league I was in in Denmark, we've got the under-23 national England national team keeper playing there now, a couple of other English lads. Um, and then the other side of it is coming over to Asia. And that is, a that is a, a I think, something that maybe you, if you, when you're younger, you stay in Scandinavia or in Europe but uh maybe when you when you get older then I think Asia is definitely a definitely a, a good step you know lifestyle wise we get to live and, and be in the sun mm-hmm. and it's a lovely environment to to be in especially here in Singapore you know beautiful country um and obviously again the salaries and where you live, you know, you can live and you can be in a condominium that has a nice pool and stuff and you don't get that opportunities uh, back in Europe. So it's all about, <coughs> sorry, it's all about what you, uh, what you really want to do with your, with your life. And, and if you do get the opportunity to come out here, which is hard, it's not easy as a foreign player uh, to be able to get out into these countries because everyone wants Asian experience. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone wants, oh, well, you haven't played in Asia before, so we're not sure if you can, you can do it. So if you do get opportunity, I would say for sure, take it because you never know what it can lead to. You're playing in front. Suddenly, you can be playing in Indonesia in front of seventy thousand fans, whereas you could be playing on a Saturday lunchtime in in the Danish second division in front of a man and his dog. Like, <laughs> the, the, you know, yeah. I know where I'd prefer to be. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's that's the kind of the reason that you come over here. I think mm. for sure. Before before we talk about Asia in, in particular, could you just briefly describe your time in Faroe Islands, which is where you went to after yeah, Denmark? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I was, I mean, for people that know me, I'm, I hate rest. I can't rest. I don't, you know, it gets to the summer and I'm itching and ready to play again. And I finished in Denmark and I wasn't ready for, 
Tenopoli. Mm-hmm. And so I just called my agent and basically said, right, which window's open? Get me there. I don't care where it is. And he came back and he said, well, yeah, I don't know if you're going to like this. <laughs> yeah, it's the Faroe Islands. And I was thinking at the time, I was thinking, oh, like Faroes, you know, Portugal, somewhere like that. <laughs> I was thinking, and he was like, oh, it's like an hour flight from from Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. So it's a tiny little island in the in the middle of the basically in the middle of the sea. Just thinking, all right. And but anyways, we got we got a, a good deal out of there out of it. And so I went and it for 10 games. And I mean, it wasn't it wasn't the best place to be. There's more people in St. James's Park on a Saturday than their whole country. You know, there's oh, forty eight thousand, I think, that mm-hmm. live there. Small population. So it's tiny. Mm-hmm. I think there's more sheep than than people. They're saying eighty thousand sheep, you know. So if sheep's okay. had a brain, maybe they could take over the Faroe Islands. <laughs> <laughs> but um uh so so yeah, so I went there anyway, played, I think it was ten games, went for three months. And I, you know, I enjoyed it. I, I got my confidence back anyway. Mm-hmm. Um I'd lost a little bit of confidence towards the end of the season, I think, in Denmark and I needed that. I need to feel feel that uh, that confidence again. Uh, went over there, played for a little bit, and for me, it was fine. You know, I wouldn't go back personally, but mm-hmm. beautiful place. Don't get us wrong. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable, unbelievable mountains and treks and this kind of thing. But for football wise, you know, they have a they have a club in the in the playing Europa League. They have a club that qualify for the Champions League group mm-hmm. stages. So there are a couple of decent decent clubs there mm-hmm. and some good players. But yeah, three months was was enough enough for me for sure and then of course uh, you moved on to Cambodia yeah uh, first of all how did that opportunity come about because uh, when we talk about uh, European players moving to Asia we don't often think about Cambodia uh, we usually think about Singapore Malaysia Indonesia uh, those sort of countries uh, but you went there and you of course helped them to win the league title as well uh, from what I read it's 65 points from 25 games which it's an incredible record so how did your time go in Cambodia and how did the move come about yeah so I was got I finished the three months and, you know, obviously the season start in Europe and it was kind of getting to the January transfer window and it was, where am I looking in Europe and this kind of thing. And then, um, I luckily, you know, had, there was an Irish, Irish coach, Conor Nesta, who's head of Sfiring, who's the team in Cambodia and he's football mad, you know, he will watch the Bolivian Premier League on whatever and, you know, and find players. And if he likes a player, he'll try and speak to them, you know, and, um, really really good coach and, and great knowledge of the game mm-hmm. and um my i had a someone in denmark who would help me and who would help me in denmark had uh had spoken and had this contact of him and he'd he'd been watching a few of my games and ended up getting talking to him and he was like if you come to asia he said for me you want to come i'm a foreign coach i can ease you into it you know it's something that you're not gonna necessarily notes your surroundings are going to be different he said i'm close to you i'm close to where you're where you're from i can help you i can i can give you that introduction into asia um and so like because like we said you know if you don't have the asian experience it's hard to get into the straight into the so-called big leagues in in southeast asia um so yeah he had a few phone calls with him was kind of to and fro and not sure should i go kind of my agent at the time was like don't do it don't go you know you've got a career to have in europe sort of thing let's get you back over to sweden denmark whatever and and go from there um but i ended up taking taking a chance and best decision i think i made you know went out there absolutely loved it there was an i'm sure a thousand times where i was sat in my room thinking what am i doing yeah mm-hmm. you know this is crazy but 
I loved it. Really, really enjoyed it. And he was a he was a great person to have um, as a kind of mentor and a, a friend and a coach. And yeah, we went 25 games unbeaten, um, which made it even better. Um, introduced me into it, in, into the Southeast Asian market sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And then uh, and he obviously had a bit, big impact on on me and, and, and that season and couldn't have couldn't have gone better really you know first year in Asia winning a, winning a league um, playing playing well and really really enjoyed it Away from football how was it like living in Cambodia? Yeah I mean it was, we were, I was right in the city in Phnom Penh mm-hmm. um, it was you know I've seen, I saw more Hummers and Rolls Royces in Cambodia than I'd see in London it's crazy mm-hmm. like the amount of money that some people have over there and the 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 difference from high to low is is crazy you know mm-hmm. one street you've got people who are extremely poor and who are living off very very little and then the next street you've got ridiculous cars nice houses so mm-hmm. there's a it's a strange strange balance um but yeah i mean you can it's a very very cheap place so you can live very well for a small amount of money um so that was that was it was nice you know they have they're starting to be very good with tourists and things like that mm-hmm. um so nice and easy you know it wasn't it wasn't something the food at the start was a little bit like some places i might have got a little bit of trouble from mm-hmm. but uh <laughs> but after that you know it was it was good you know sometimes we'd go into a province uh to play a game and that was that was a little bit tough maybe something that i i didn't enjoy the most but other than that, really, really enjoyed enjoyed being there. And uh, in twenty twenty, ahead of twenty twenty Singapore Premier League season, you signed for Haugang United. Uh, when did the first contact happen? And of course, were you convinced straight away to join, or do you still need a, a, a bit of convincing to realize that perhaps moving to the Singapore Premier League should be a good decision for you? Yeah, it was a it was a strange one. You know, I was I'd come to the end of the season, um, and. My coach had said to me, like, you would like me to stay on for next season. Um, but he'd understand if I wanted to move out of the league. You know, I felt at the time that 25 games unbeaten, at, we've won the league. I've helped the club get in the AFC. Um, can we go further? Can we do better than this? Or is this my time to kind of maybe take that next step? Um, so I was, I went over to Malaysia for a little bit. Um, and I was kind of staying in Malaysia seeing what was going to happen if I was going to go on a trial or this kind of thing. And then I got a call from a club in Vietnam. Uh, so I went over to Vietnam and I was there for three days uh, training. And then I all of a sudden got two or three offers from from Singapore. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was talking to a couple of different teams. In uh, Singapore? In the Singapore Premier okay. League, yeah, yeah. And it was it was one of those that I wasn't really sure what, what the best decision was to do. Um, but you know how gang was going in the AFC. They were ambitious, and um, I love Singapore. I'd been to visit the year before, and I was in two minds whether do I stay in Vietnam. You know, Vietnam seems a really good league, and mm. it was good. The standard was good. I was supposed to play a game on the Saturday, um, but I was only three days in, and I had to make that decision. I'm going to have to leave here. I've committed to myself going over there. They brought me over there, so didn't feel the best doing that something I had to do you know you never know what can happen uh I could have gone in that game got an injury or whatever mm-hmm. and then I was maybe not getting getting a contract and that's kind of what you face as a foreigner you know one year contracts usually for most for most people um so yeah got the opportunity had to think about it with a couple of clubs over here 
uh, but she spoke to Clement and uh, I think after uh, maybe a week of of deciding, I think it was it was clear that I wanted to play play for Haugang. Which clubs were you talking to? I don't know. I don't know if I'm, uh, <laughs> don't know if I'm allowed to say. <laughs> maybe maybe off air. <laughs> but but in terms of, I mean, of course, it's been an extremely weird year uh, for everyone. But since moving to Singapore, have you? Uh, I, w- I wouldn't say have you been happy with the decision, but what do you make of the league so far? And uh, uh, how's the time been with Hagen so far? Yeah, I mean, obviously we, we, we couldn't expect this would happen. You know, if anything, it's been a, it's been a bit of a nightmare. Um, we we obviously started off and we, we didn't have the the most ideal start. It was a bit of a strange one, you know. We got... We're playing in the AFC, and then suddenly we were in that Charity Shield game with a couple of days' notice, and mm. it was kind of it was a it was a strange start. Um, uh, but yeah, the the league it's 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 good, you know. I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed being being over here in Singapore. I think there's a few changes that maybe could be made in mm-hmm. the league that mm-hmm. to kind of propel it. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it's a shame that that not many people like to come and watch there's not huge fans like mm-hmm. Indonesia, Malaysia, this mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, because for me, there's not that much difference in standard. So you've got all these players in or teams in Malaysia and Indonesia that there's 20, 30,000 coming to watch and their fans, they love it because, you know, it's, they're all the they're families, the supporters, they all come down. So it's a strange one that, that people don't want to come and watch it here. Um, but yeah, uh, like I said, I think there's... The rule of the maybe the under twenty three player, I think that maybe puts some some people off. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard quite a few people speak about that. Like on the taxi on the way here, um, the guy we were talking, he was saying, "Oh, I'm a huge football fan." I said, "Oh, do you watch much local football?" Nah, no way. Ah. And I'm sitting in the back. I've got my How Gang mask on. And I'm covering, <laughs> the, you know, covering the mask like this. Thinking, yeah, yeah, <laughs> terrible. Mask at him, man. <laughs> <laughs> the mask at him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He didn't look at it luckily, otherwise, because then he said, "Oh, so do you work here?" It's like, nah, nah, I'm just here on holiday. Um, but yeah, so it's uh, it's something that I think, I mean, it's a gold mine here. You know, mm-hmm. if they have the right people to look after the league and 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 that kind of thing, then it could maybe propel and, and get big again. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, enjoying it so far. Uh, looking forward to getting started again in the league. Really, really looking forward and, and back in the training. I think it's going to be maybe a crazy, crazy end of the year yes. uh, on, on everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, players, supporters, everything. It's going to be. Uh, who knows what's going to happen? I'm hoping that we can uh, we can get back back to a few people coming to watch the game again mm-hmm. and and uh, a little bit of normality. But let's see. You know, the most important thing now is being able to get some games, get some games in. But at the same time, we've got to we've got to be uh, got to be looked after as well. I think it's easy for for the league to say, okay, let's go, let's play. But you know, we're not we're not Premier League players. We're not looked after as well as Premier League players mm. because the obviously the money and and that kind of thing. So, you know, whereas a Premier League player might need two and a half, three weeks to get ready, it's uh, it's going to be hard to play two games, three games a week, whatever they're thinking. Um, so hopefully they they were looked after, we're looked after well as players, and we get back and we're, we're the safe safe measures, and 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 we can actually get some games in. All right, perfect. Uh, before I let you go, of course we have the. Rapid fire round powered by Active Fit. Five questions that I'll need an immediate answer to. Let's start out with the first one. Your toughest opponent so far in the Singapore Premier League? Well, it was uh, Tampanese. Uh, it was the cha- uh, Community Shield, if mm-hmm. that counts. 
Uh, any any particular player? Um, particular player, uh, uh, Japanese midfielder, um, Kyoga. Yeah, yes. good good player, and uh, Jordan Webb. I think Jordan Webb. Mm-hmm. Both both top top players. I uh, uh, thought they were good good players to play against. Okay, uh, your best teammate at Haugang? Um, Zach Zach Anson or Anu. Anu. Yeah. Okay, this is a name that you mentioned a few times. Yeah, man. <laughs> okay, third question. I think I'm going to like like this one. If you could sell one Newcastle United player, who would it be? <laughs> <laughs> um, if I could sell one, um, <laughs> bit harsh, but Paul Dummett. <laughs> we'll go with him. Paul Dummett, okay. Yeah, yeah, we'll go with him. Not, not, not because he's a ni- not a nice guy, but I will go Paul Dummett. Okay. <laughs> um, best moment in football. Um, career-wise, playing. Uh, yeah. I'd say last year when winning the league 25 games unbeaten mm. yeah for sure or signing my first my first professional contract okay uh, the last question is what is your wish for Singapore football lots of fans how gang win the league and um, and yeah just a successful return back to playing alright thank you so much for being on the show we wish you the best uh, for when the season resumes and all the best with uh, how gang united thank you very much guys. thank you, thank you for having me appreciate it thank you it was a wonderful chat we had today with yeah, Charlie. Yeah. Uh, for myself, I think before he came in, uh, to be very honest, I had a very different perspective of Mike Ashley mm-hmm. and Newcastle United. So it was mm-hmm. wonderful to have his insights as a fan. Yeah. Uh, but on the local context, uh, I mean, what was the takeaway today? Oh, yeah. For me, the biggest takeaway from this is that it's a, it's a recurring theme from all the foreign players that's, that's come in to our show and um, have played all over the world. All over the world, bro. And it's been, it, it, they've all said the same thing. The standard in our league is there. It's there. If you compare to our neighbours, to Indonesia, Thailand, I mean, maybe not Thailand, but it's there. Lah. So if that's not a sign for us to watch the, our local league, what is? Mm-hmm. It, it's time that we, if not, if, even if we don't have the time to go on, uh, go to the stadiums and watch it, it's, it's there for us to watch online, on, on TV and everything. So, it's high time we start to watch and so support our league, man. Mm-hmm. I think for myself, was, uh, I've been watching the MSL, I've been watching uh, the Singapore Premier League yeah. and and like most guests have said, the standard is not different. Mm. So if the MSL is garnering huge support from their fans, it's because these fans actually take the time to go down to the stadiums to watch mm. these teams play. And like you said, right now we have, we have these matches on TV, you have these matches on streaming. On my Kuju. Yeah, my Kuju. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, if that's not like you said, if that's not an uh, opportunity for you to watch these teams, yeah. then what are you waiting for? Uh, we are so eager to support English Premier League teams. We are so hell-bent on being boyhood or, or boyhood supporters of these clubs. But these are our own players, our own league. Yeah. And if we don't watch this league, the league will die off. And one day, we won't have a local product to show for. Yeah. Our fellow local footballers won't have a league to play in. Yeah, so I think, I do hope that you know people are listening and they hope. Uh, I hope they give this league a chance. Come on, guys. Come yep. to the stadium soon. Watch the games. Yes. And that's it for today's episode. Uh, we hope you enjoyed Charlie's insights of Newcastle. Stay tuned as we have more English Premier League content coming up in the next few weeks. Till then, this is The Final Whistle. <laughs>